Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I want to give a couple of um, reminders. As you know, we are talking about help and hope for a holy life. Uh, we are called to be saints in this world that we live in. If you have questions about that, I've got two sermons already that we've talked about this, and so I'm trying to avoid my temptation to over-review. Um, I tend to want to do that over-review each and every week and go back and, and redo those things, but I'm going to try to keep myself from doing that this morning. Um, if you have questions about it, listen to those. Um, if you go, I don't know how to get on the internet, right? Well, if that's a problem for you, we can make you a CD. We can, we can burn a CD for you. We can, we can send it home with you. We, we will do what it is necessary to get those in your hands. Um, last week, as we talked about this help and hope for a holy life, I talked about one specific way that you can take that first step of being one of God's people. Okay? And that way was repentance. And I did not do that by giving you, here are the five steps of repentance. We talked about a picture of repentance from King David in Psalm 51 when he wrote a poem about his own repentance. We talked about in that piece of poetry from Psalm 51, um, David's acknowledging and recognizing the character of God, acknowledging and recognizing his own character and that sinful life that he had lived and the sin that he, the specific sin that he needed to repent of. And then we saw David trusting God that he would bring him to a place where he would be exclaiming, enjoy the greatness of God. That's repentance. Who's God? Who am I? And what can God do in my life? Okay. Now, I mentioned last week that I wanted to shift gears and do something very practical. When I say practical, I mean specific. I tend to talk in generalities when I'm up here. I don't very often get into really specific details. I'm going to do that today. Okay? There's a lot of avenues I could have taken, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to practice repentance. Okay? So, Matt, you talk about repentance. How do we do that? Give me an example of a way that we can show and act and live in repentance. And I wanted to give you a specific one that I personally believe, and I picked one, okay? I picked one that I have long believed is often the first and one of the easiest ways to become a holy person, one of God's people. Okay, so I've picked something that I think is, in fact, I'm telling you this right now, this date, my, my thought on this dates way, way back, 1992, working at McLean, okay, um, and, and, and realizing and thinking to myself, that there, there's some real easy way, like when you become a Christian, step one, this is a great, easy way to take that first step of being one of God's people and demonstrating that. So some of you wonder, like, how am I supposed to do that? What am I... All right, we're going to get real specific today, okay? And I'm going to say that it, the big general concept, the idea has to do with words. In fact, I'm going to title this sermon something that my wife used to say to my children when they were little and they were frustrated and angry. She would come over to them and she would rub their head and say, use your words, <laughs> right? Use your words. And so I've heard her even say that with JJ and Sunday, use your words, right? Instead of, 
instead of, let's use Word, what's going on? I'm going to tell you right now, that's what I want to help you to see that you can use your words. Let me pray, and then I'm going to jump in, okay? Heavenly Father, I do thank you again for this day. I want to pray one last time before we jump into your word. God, for your spirit to fill me uh, with your presence, your reality. Lord, I pray that the things I speak on today would truly be the words that you would have me to say. I pray that each person that is coming to this room this morning, that they would be ready and willing to be recipients of those words. God, I pray that those words would have an impact and an effect on those hearts and minds where it is necessary. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God created words. You ever think about that? God created words. He created language. He spoke the world and all that is into existence. Think about that for a minute. When God created, how did he do it? He spoke. Let there be light, God said. And what happened? Light. He speaks the whole universe into existence. Words are how he did that. He spoke. His first command to his creation is done through words. In fact, commands are a series of words, are they not? I'm using words right now, talking to you. Mankind's first step of obedience involved words. God gave Adam a task. His job was to do what? Name the animals. So Adam went around giving words to specific animals. So that one of mankind's first acts of obedience involved the use of language and words. Man's fall into sin came through a misuse of words by Satan. In fact, if you think about Satan's temptation in the garden, it was simply to question the words of God. What did he say? He said, did God really say? Right? Is that not his temptation? Did, did God really say that? One of God's punishments on people after the great flood was to confuse their language at the Tower of Babel. When God steps in and reveals himself in the Old Testament, he does it through words. And I think what hopeful moments we hear in the Old Testament when we hear the words, and God spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. When God reveals who he is and he uses words. God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. God used Moses to speak to the children of Israel, the Ten Commandments, which is actually literally, when you see the Ten Commandments, that word that's translated commandments, is actually words, the Ten Words. doesn't mean there was just Ten Words that he used, but it's the words that God gave. One of uh, the first of those Ten Commandments deals directly with what we say about God and how we use his name. In the New Testament, when Jesus... God in the flesh shows up and comes to humanity. Uh, he does what? He preaches. In what? Words. He speaks to his people. The gospel writer, John, one of Jesus' disciples, goes as far at the beginning of his gospel when he writes and he wants to talk about Jesus. He starts off this way. He says, In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Where he calls Jesus the Word. An amazing thing. Words are powerful. Words are created by God. Words belong ultimately to God. 
In Proverbs 18.21, we get this verse, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Some of you know that all too well. You've felt the pain or you've felt the life from words. I think words can be beneficial. One of my favorites, uh, favorite Proverbs on this is uh, Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken. Just love the picture here. Word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Can you just, like a word. Have you ever had a word at the right place, at the right time, in the right way? The exact right word. It's like, it is like apple of gold in the setting of silver. There you go. Words. Jesus tells us when he's on this earth, and he uses his words, and he says that we will give an account for our words. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37 say, I tell you, the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. I believe this is true because of something else that Jesus said. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. You can't rightly say, that thing I said, that wasn't me. Yes, it was. That's the problem. Is it not? That came from you, the words that you speak. That word careless, right there, for every careless word, is a word that can be translated idle, lazy, even unemployed words. Careless is a good translation, though. Maybe we ought not to be so careless with our words and maybe a bit more careful with our words. Let's start with an obvious one. Let's go back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, one of those Ten Commandments, the third one to be specific. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That word vain, many of you know that word vain means what? Anybody know what, remember what the word vain means? Empty, that's right. It em, means empty. But it's, I, I found out uh, yesterday, it's empty not just as in like a cup that's empty. It's empty like the word desolate. Like a land that's been wiped of anything beneficial. And God says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In, in an empty fashion. What are some examples of this? Okay, I'm going to stop. Let's get specific. What are some examples of this? Let's be honest. What's an example of this? Yeah. Yeah. Is it to, to use as an exclamation, oh my God. Is that okay? No. It's empty. How about if you stub your toe and exclaim from the stubbing of a toe the name of Jesus? Do people do that? And say the name Jesus Christ in such a small, trivial, meaningless sort of way. I'm going to throw in here a couple of other things 
I'm going to throw in here the word damn and the word hell. Those are big, serious things. To be damned by God, to suffer in hell, are not trivial things. John Piper says of these words, he says this, is if, a per, if a person uses God and Jesus Christ and damn and hell as a throwaway standard expression of irritation or anger, he is belittling God, belittling Christ, belittling the seriousness of damnation, and belittling hell. We ought not to belittle these big things. This is not the only way to be careful with our words. I think this is a start as a Christian. You have an insight on some big ideas. What it means to be damned. What hell might look like for some. And to use them as throwaways is not acceptable out of God's people. Paul, to go to the New Testament, some other ways to be careful with our speech instead of careless, comes in Ephesians chapter 5. This is actually from our study on Ephesians. Uh, we did a few years ago. We went through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 says this, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now let's take a look at a few of these words. Let's take a look at the first one here. Filthiness. Literally, obscenity. Right? Obscenity. Filthiness. Dishonorable. The same word is used in Colossians 3.8 when Paul says, uh, but you must now put them all away. And one of the things he lists is obscene talk. Let me get the other one, then we'll talk about each of these a little bit more. Foolish talk. I love this word. The Greek word that's translated here, foolish talk, is morologia. Okay? Moro, like the word moron. <laughs> logia, logos, word. So foolish talk is literally moronic words. It's interesting, isn't it? Moronic words. Strong's Dictionary defines this word as buffoonery. I don't know what that is exactly, but it's a fun word to say. Try it once. Buffoonery. <laughs> this next one is super interesting. Crude joking is literally... Now, when I looked this word up, I, I knew immediately there's something I recognize in there. This word is the, uh, the Greek word eutropelia. Now, E-U, U, at the beginning of a Greek word, almost always has the idea of something that is good. Okay? Um... Like a eulogy, when we say something after someone has passed. A eulogy, E-U-L-O-G, logos, word, a good word, right? That's what a eulogy is. So this word, crude joking, is eutropelia. I'm like, well, that's weird, because it says crude, why do we translate it crude joking? Well, the word is literally a good, eutropelia, turn. This word is literally a quick, good turn, like a witticism. The dictionary, the Greek dictionary, defines this word as a, a, a quick, witty humor. Use the word ribaldry, low jesting. I'm like, I don't even know what some of these words mean. Strong's is a well-turned word, a witticism. I taught 
junior high boys. If you want to know what this word is about, hang around with some junior high boys. They have the ability to take anything you say and make it naughty. <laughs> Am I right? Let's be honest. There's some with a junior high mentality that still do this as adults. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been guilty of this. Crude joking. Note that the Bible does not give a list. Don't say these words. That would be ridiculous if the Bible did because language changes, does it not? There are words that, I mean, even in my lifetime, there are words that mean different things than they used to mean. But every culture in every time has a category of words that we can easily call vulgar, profane, inappropriate. I teach at the high, or I'm a dean at the high school. We actually have a write-up called profanity. I have not had one kid that was written up for that that went, what? I don't understand. I go, you written up for profanity. What's that? It's like bad words. They go, oh, yeah, I did use that. <laughs> not one of them has argued. I said, well, uh, someone said, well, what did I say? I said, well, the teacher said you said this. Not one of them has gone, well, that's not a bad word. They all go, yeah, okay. <laughs> What I find fascinating about the way the Bible approaches this topic is it does it in such a way where it uses the category and it doesn't use the specific words because, frankly, I think we all know. Some of you, I know that you know because you don't say those words around the preacher. Right? Well, I wouldn't say that word around Matt. Well, what, about that? what about me? There's some words that if I said them, you'd go, you can't say that, you're a pastor. I've got sources. I've got some sources. I know some of you, when you get to your jobs and you get to your places of work, you're letting some words fly that you wouldn't dare let fly at church. Which tells me something. You know. You know what's vulgar and profane and obscene. You know the filthy words. I love what Paul says next, which are out of place. The word literally is one Greek word. It means unfitting. Ought not to be from the lips of God's holy people. It reminds me of our study from 1 Corinthians when we talked about love. Remember the love chapter? Paul says this, love is patient and kind, uh, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or, see that word rude? S similar word, similar form of the word. That word rude also means out of place. We might say inappropriate. As a Christian, one of God's saints in this world, we ought to be careful with our words. And one of the easiest ways that you can begin to show that you love the way Christ loved is the way you use your words. Let every one of them be fitting and appropriate. The verse I mentioned earlier, apples of gold and settings of silver, let me give you another one. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, just at the right time, how good it is. 
I don't have it up here, but maybe I should throw the proverb in that says, even a fool is thought wise if he just keeps his mouth shut. I have a sign. Um, actually, I have a bunch of proverbs in my office at school. A bunch of these proverbs that talk about words and things like that. I just put them up there. I don't care what anybody says. I'm putting some Bible verses in the dean's office. I have one that's not a Bible verse. It's from Plato. And it says, um, <laughs> a wise person speaks because he has something to say. A fool speaks because he has to say something. <laughs> As Christians, I'm telling you right now, we ought to be slow to speak. Doesn't it even say that in the Bible? Slow to speak. Earlier in Ephesians, before the passage I just mentioned, if we go back to chapter 4, Paul talks about it this way. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. You see some similar ideas already. That it may give grace to those who hear. This word corrupting is literally rotten. That's what it means. Like a potato that's gone bad. We have this crock in our kitchen. And we, you buy the bag of potatoes, right? You know what I'm talking about? I, I hope we're not the only ones that this has happened to. You buy the bag of potatoes, you take the bag, we put it in the big crock, right? Put it in the crock, sits there, you're getting potatoes out. Every once in a while, one of those sneaky little potatoes sneaks out of the bottom of the bag and is hiding underneath the plastic and you forget that it's down there. Who's had this happen? And at some point... The weeks progress, and you start going, there's something in this kitchen that's just off. <laughs> and if you're like me, you start doing this. All right? <laughs> you wait for your kids to go by. No, it's not you. Okay. What is it? And then you start to go, wait a minute. There's the crock. <laughs> and you pull it out, and you go, oh! And then suddenly I start making noises like my grandma used to make. Oh! <laughs> yeah, I don't know why she always did that. Yeah. Remember, she used to, <laughs> oh, you know, and I started making those kinds of noise. Okay, so that potato at that point is good for nothing. If I tried to take it out and go, well, we could probably peel it. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> no, no, it's good for nothing. That's what this word is. There's words that have, they're just good for nothing. That's what Paul's talking about. They're corrupting. They're like rot in a potato. Words can have that effect. Could we throw in here not just profanity and obscenity, but combination of words that rot a situation? How about words that stir up drama? Words that bring dislike or hatred. Words that tear down. Could we throw in here gossip? I don't even need to go to the passages on gossip to show you not to gossip. Stirring the pot with your words. Building alliances with your words. You know what he did? Can you believe that she... These are words that are rotten. They tear down. They tear down relationships. They tear down people. 
Could we throw in here deceit? Haven't even gotten to that topic. Lying. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Haven't even mentioned it yet, but I figured you already knew not to lie. That lying is a destroying, corrupting, rotten way to use your words. Instead, get rid of those. Instead, what does he say here? Good for building up. As some versions say, good for edification. You ever seen an edifice? Right? Big, tall structure. The side of a grand building. Edification. See the connection between the two words? Your words ought to be building up, Paul says. Building. Building. Building up. Lifting up. Instilling hope. Taking someone from here to here with your words. In the dean's office, I don't simply, though I do sometimes when they come in, go, could you just stop it? <laughs> just, just stop it. But I, stop. Just stop. Please stop. But I don't just do that in the dean's office. I also go, you can do this. I don't care if you've been written up for the same dumb thing 50 times. Today could be the day you do something different. Today could be the day it turns around. Today could be that day for you. Build them up with words. As Paul says, fits the occasion, which is literally fits the need, is the word that's used here. This requires a little bit of awareness on your part. Take a step back. What is this need? What's missing here? What, where might it be leaning like a stack of Jenga blocks? It's starting to, to tip. What, instead of making it more unstable, what could I do to stabilize this? And that's an awareness that Paul says we ought to have towards people with our words to build them up. It fits the occasion. And then he says this, that it may give grace. Do you guys love grace? Do you think it's amazing? Do you hope for it from God? Think about what Paul's saying here. Grace can be given and people can receive it through their ears. You can actually give someone grace. And you can do that by your words and they can get it through their ears. Think about that for a second. You can be a giver of grace with your words. Paul, earlier in that passage I shared, which is actually after this one, Ephesians 5, 4, ended with thanksgiving. You remember he had that a minute ago? He said, but with thanksgiving. I think this is, frankly, one of the easiest ways you can begin to give grace. Just be thankful with your words. Instead of griping and complaining and murmuring. How you doing today? Better than I deserve. Where'd Denise go? Oh, Denise, if you can hear me. God is good. If she's back here, she'd say, I, I love that because it gives an opportunity for the grace to go that way and then come back. There's a guy at work named Mr. Greenhall. 
every time I ask Mr. Greenhall how he's doing, he, he could be walking like with a purpose to his classroom. How you doing, Mr. Greenhall? He'll stop in his tracks, look me dead in the eye, change his entire demeanor, and go, I'm blessed. And I have to say, right now, when he does that, it blesses me. Every single time he does it, I'm like, yeah, I, I am too. What was I getting ready to gripe about? We're blessed. We're blessed. This is bigger than just saying, don't say these bad words. You have an opportunity to administer, distribute, dish out, not insults, but grace. So no blasphemy, no profanity or obscenity, no dirty jokes or vulgarity. Instead, words that administer grace one final passage to close on. If I have it, there it is. Colossians 3. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, think about something here. When he says, put them all away, what are you putting them away from? All these, this little list he has, you're putting them away from what? What does it say? Your mouth. So it's not just the last one that you're putting away from your mouth. It's all of these you're putting away from your mouth. Anger. Not in your mouth. Every once in a while I, I bring this up and somebody goes, well, I was righteously angry. Oh, my. <laughs> I, I think there's very, very few of us on this planet that have even a close enough ability to display God's righteous anger. I don't even think we should try to do that. I'm going to tell you right now. Stop it. You're not God, okay? Chances are you're probably more angry about how whatever it is affected you, and you're speaking out of your frustration about you and your selfishness. Cut it out. Anger, wrath, malice, Malice is words of hatred. Okay, that's what, the, that's what that word is about. It's not just, man, I hate, I hate him. Right? It's, it's that, too. I hate that. I hate that. Slander, words that are specifically, even if they're true, slander can be true things that you're saying to tear somebody down. He did this. He did that. He did, i can be honest, those things, you, there, you don't have a good godly reason that you are sharing those things, most likely. Can there be an exception to that? I'm sure there is, but I'm telling you right now, most of us, if you're talking about somebody else and you're telling about the bad things they've done, your goal is to tear them down in that person's eyes. And sometimes we're doing it to get them on our side, are we not? That is not administering grace. And Paul says, put it out of your mouth. Slander and obscene talk out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And then I love what he says here. This because you're a saint, you're new, 
And Paul says, do not lie to one that's seen that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He spoke the universe into existence. You ought to speak grace into people's lives like your creator spoke life and light. You can speak life and light into people's lives. You will never do that. Let's be honest. You're never going to do that with a potty mouth. You're never going to do that with a lying mouth. You're never going to do that with a mouth that tells dirty jokes. You're never going to do that with a mouth that gossips. You're never going to do that with a mouth that exclaims in anger and wrath. You're never going to do that with a mouth that is vulgar and crass. You're never going to do that with a mouth that is not careful, but ends up being careless. I don't know about you, but I think there's some repenting to do. I, I've been careless with my words. E even I'm not up here preaching this going, those dirty people out there need to clean up their mouth. I know. I, I have fallen into the trap of talking about somebody because of what they did, and I'm like, that hurt me so bad. I want somebody else to feel my pain with me. I've spoken about people. That's slander. That's gossip. That's sin. And that's wrong. No two ways around it. I'd like to excuse myself because I've had to deal with high school boys my entire career. But I'm going to tell you right now, I have been guilty of taking something that was completely innocent and flipping it around and chuckling about the naughty side of what was just said. Yes, that's right. Your pastor has done that. I'm horribly embarrassed admitting it. It's wrong. It ought not to happen. Some of you, I told you I have my sources. Some of you, when you're at work, let the F-bomb fly. Some of you, when you're at work, are dropping that word here and there. And I'm telling you right now, if we as a people cannot clean up our mouths, number one. They're not going to listen to anything we say about Jesus. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to pray that God would bless this bread and this cup. Because when I talk about things like this, I usually get to a point where I go, what hope do we have? And I'd like to come back to Jesus, and I know that my salvation is not depending on me getting my mouth completely cleaned up. We try to do this now, don't we, as Christians? Because we want to be his people. And we know what he's done, and so out of gratitude for all he's done, we, we seek to, to put these things out of our mouth. Because we want others to see how great Jesus is. I'm telling you right now, if, if you're new to the faith, you, this one little area, if you just nix this, you, you'd be amazed at the people that you work with, how they start to realize it pretty quick. 
I can remember when I worked at McLean, I I, my mouth cleaned up. Uh, they used to call me a heaven of a guy instead of a hell of a guy. They call me a heaven of a guy because I, but they didn't know. I just did. I just wasn't cussing. That's all it was. And I can remember that always stuck with me. I'm like, how did they figure it out? And I asked a couple, how do you know I was a Christian? Well, you you're never, you're not dropping the f bomb. You're not saying. And they would say, they'd say it. You know, well, you're not blankety blank blank blank. You know, I'm like. Okay, you don't have to go into further detail. I'm telling you right now, this is a great first step of repentance to say, God, I want to demonstrate you in this world, and I'm having trouble. Start here. Start here. Be thankful that your salvation is not dependent on you getting this perfect you will stumble again. You will fall again. You will gossip again. You'll slander somebody again. And you'll come running back to Jesus again. And say, Lord, help me. I repent. You will find the longer you do this, the more it becomes uncomfortable and unfitting. It will feel unfitting to even try to repeat something that somebody else said. That's God's grace in your life. 